DiscerningHearts.com presents Regnum Novum, bringing forth the new evangelization through Catholic social teaching with Deacon Omar Gutierrez. Deacon Gutierrez studied theology at the Franciscan University of Steubenville and at the Angelicum in Rome. He holds a master's degree in theology from the University of Dallas. He has worked for the church in various capacities, including as a teacher and administrator, and is currently on the faculty of the School of Faith. His expertise includes Catholic social teaching, and his writings on the subject have appeared in several national Catholic newspapers and periodicals. He's the author of The Urging of Christ's Love, The Saints, and The Social Teaching of the Catholic Church. Regnum Novum, bringing forth the new evangelization through Catholic social teaching with Deacon Omar Gutierrez. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We're on point four, and in our previous discussion, we we spoke of truth and freedom. The other two values in that particular point are justice and love. Justice. In justice, we have the the tradition of the natural law and philosophy justice is classically defined as giving what is due to our neighbor scriptures we there's that question about who our neighbor is and to that Christ gives a very clear answer mm-hmm. um, you know love your enemies and and pray for those who persecute you so so we know who our neighbor is it's everybody without exception that's clear God, God and Jesus gives us that answer but what is due to them D U E what is due to God what is due to our neighbor and to be able to answer that question, we have to have the truth of who the human person is, which we we know fully in Christ Jesus, and the freedom to be able to know what we are called to be, and what, what our ultimate end is, and then to be able the freedom to be able to pursue that. So the other the two values, truth and freedom, have to be there first for us to be able to know what is due to our neighbor. Because as we all know in this day and age, everybody claims to have a right to everything. Mm-hmm. Right. Everybody claims that all sorts of things are due them. Um, there were statistics years ago about the number of households making $30,000 or less who had access to, to cable and a television. For those who are so radically poor in our, our society, is cable and television something due to them? And I'm not saying that they were saying that, but it is something you hear that, you know, what's due to me is what's due to everybody. And if you have something I don't have, then I have a right to it, too. Uh, regardless of what that is. And so we start to have this uh, multiplication of rights that aren't rooted in our, our actual true selves. So we have to root ourselves in in what we know the human person to be, in our human nature, and to explore what is due to the individual. What the compendium says about justice is it divides into a kind of subjective and objective uh, point. The compendium will say this, that justice first is the behavior that is based on the will to recognize the other as a person. So it's a so again it goes back to that point number two of our social doctrine. It's it's communitive, not oppositionist. We recognize the fundamental dignity of the other person. So we're not dividing them into a class, into a race, into a gender, into anything. They are simply a person, a dignified person, loved by God and made in his image. The second step, says the compendium, is the decisive criteria of morality in the intersubjective and social sphere. In other words, the decision we're making and how to treat that other person, which goes back to what's due. So we have to know what that, what, what that is. And the danger in identifying what is due to the other 
is one, to, to think that too many things are due to them, which is one of the sins of our society, that we have a right to whatever. But then also to consider that justice or giving due, what's due to another person is sufficient, or that justice is the, the end of what we're, we're trying to do in the social doctrine. And this is one of, the, I think, the, the areas where, where there's a lot of contention. Mm-hmm. For some reason, I'm not really quite sure why, we've understood the social doctrine, social teaching of the church, with the phrase social justice, as though that sums up the entirety of the, of the teaching. When in reality, that phrase is, is rarely used in the actual documents. It's not commonly used, but when you look for the phrase social doctrine or social teaching, it's used constantly. And it's used many times, especially recently, to avoid using the term social justice. Why? When we approach justice, there are two viewpoints we need to take in consideration. The first of them is this. And this is given to, to us by Pope Gregory the Great. When he says, when we attend to the needs of those in want, we give them what is theirs, not ours. More than performing works of mercy, we are paying a debt of justice. We have a tendency to think of giving the poor food or giving them shelter as acts of charity. And, and certainly it's, it's done out of love. I don't, don't mean to suggest it isn't. But as Pope Gregory is saying is that they are due food. <laughs> They're due shelter. We're not doing them a favor. We're giving them what is rightfully theirs to begin with. That is just. That's justice. And to pretend that somehow we're, we're going out of our way and being merciful or, or that we're fulfilling some task that we don't have to is to ignore the fact that they are due something, is to change the nature of what justice is. And that is really the center of the, the argument when we start to when we get to this question of justice and we start to to be diverted, because people will argue certainly the person is due food, but it's not my responsibility. Mm-hmm. The point that Gregory is making, the church is trying to make, is is if it's not your responsibility, whose is it? When you have the just when you have Lazarus outside the door of the rich man, that wonderful parable in the scriptures, it was in point of fact the rich man's responsibility to feed and clothe Lazarus, even if he didn't feel he was supposed to. And that would not have been mercy or charity, that would have been justice. That would have been the right thing to do. Doesn't this go back all the way to Cain and Abel? Yes. In that yeah. call of the father to have an offering given back? And in what type of offering are we giving to him? That's exactly right, which is why, you know, at the end there, where is your brother? Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, the answer is yes, you are your brother's keeper. That's what the, the church is trying to tell us, is that justice is our responsibility. It's a recognition, as the compendium said, a recognition of the personhood of the other and a decision on our part to meet the needs of that other. This is kind of the, the the heart of this whole debate about about socialism versus capitalism and, and the role of the state and not the role of the state. If we want the state to stay out of these particular uh, issues, then it's our responsibility. And if it's not our responsibility, then it must be the state's. So you have to have one or the other. Right? Mm-hmm. Somebody needs to, to, to feed the poor because the fact that this person who has dignity given to them by God does not have food enough to, to grow, does not have shelter enough to keep warm, does not have the, the, even the, the psychological stability 
to know that where the next meal might come. Those things are evils, uh, and evils that exist that must be addressed. And if it's not the state's responsibility, if you're not going to go down the route of of socialism and Marxism, which the, the church roundly condemns, then it must be our responsibility. Interestingly enough, actually, I found a quote recently from Dorothy Day talking about her and Peter Morin's criticism of the labor movement of the, the 30s and 40s. Their criticism was that, by and large, the labor movement was only too happy to allow the state to take over matters of charity and distribution of wealth, etc., and not willing to recognize that responsibility actually laid with them. Mm-hmm. Not willing to recognize that the distribution of, of good and wealth and, and the things that we have belongs to each and every one of us, particularly things like labor unions that are grounded in communities and are in touch with the poor right from the start. That's where Moren was, that's where Dorothy Day was, and that's where we have to be in recognizing that it's our responsibility to bring about justice. The ability of the human person to do good to one's neighbor mm. was greatly doubted by Karl Marx and right. many of those who lifted up socialism, Marxism, communism. Mm-hmm. They felt that was a structure that would ensure the common good for all. It didn't quite work out that way. <laughs> no. And and again, we, it goes back to we've said several times now, is that at the heart of the Catholic Church's social doctrine, and really at the heart of how one attempts to address these issues, one, one has to have a proper anthropology. And where where Marx got his anthropology was, was from an Enlightenment uh, tradition, which had denied a, a fundamental dignity of the human person, essentially, had placed that dignity in our ability for rational thought, and convinced itself that if we can create a system, or a political system in the case of Marx, or a genetic system in the case of Hitler, mm-hmm. um, if we can create a system, we will, quote-unquote, fix the human person. We, and we can't trust the average human person to do that on their own. And so by force, we need to be able to bring these systems about or bring this genetic purity about. That's the, that's the fundamental misunderstanding, therefore, about the human person is what leads to the decisions for, for those to be able to engage in, in Marxism and socialism. It's that fundamental distrust of basic human person, that the basic man or woman who runs the household day in, day out. That's where the, the disconnect happens. On the flip side of this is our understanding of democracy. Mm. For many civilizations, democracy could be viewed as almost tyranny in some ways because the majority uh, rule over mm. a minority, the, the justice due to the minority could be usurped. Exactly. And so Madison, of course, took that along with the founding fathers in many ways and tried to structure uh, the American system mm-hmm. that is something a bit beyond the essence of what democracy is, the Greeks or the Romans might have known it. Right, exactly, which is, which is why they set up the system as they did in a kind of a democratic republic. And that reflects, incidentally, the thought not just of some of the ancient classicists, um, some things in, in Aristotle and certainly Polybius and in the, the classic tradition, but also someone as, as wonderful as um, St. Isidore of Seville. Mm-hmm. Uh, St. Isidore of Seville, who's a doctor of the church, writes very clearly in the early centuries of the church that the best formation for a government is one that has 
three systems that work work with and against each other so as to be able to provide for the fullest freedom of the individual to pursue things that are holy. When Alexei de Tocqueville came to the United States, a French a Frenchman, a yes. Catholic, yes. it should be said, came to study the American system. He wanted to see what was it that was making it work because essentially the same revolution occurred in France at, and it ended up becoming known as the terror, mm-hmm. an, an extraordinarily horrific time mm-hmm. in the French people's history. Now, a revolution is occurring as well in the American colonies, the, the freedom from England, they establish this government, but it's a democracy as well, and it's a republic as well. And so he comes over, he takes a look, and he, and I'm, of course, paraphrasing and bringing it down sure. to a, quite a, an elementary level, but essentially what he was saying was that hmm, it's it works because they have this discipline of going to a service on Sundays, yes. to a church on Sundays, and hearing a message that says that you need to look beyond yourself. You need to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, help the poor, welcome the stranger, visit the imprisoned, to treat people like you would want to be treated, and to love your neighbor. Yes. And that seemed to work very well. It, it put the onus on the individual in that America of the 1800s. Exactly. At the root of, I think de Tocqueville was right, at the root of what the church is going to say about uh, how we approach matters of justice is that at, at one's base, one has to be formed properly in, in truth and freedom and be tuned into what the nature and who the nature of God is. This is why the French Revolution took the path it did, because at this heart, um, they knew and were very clear about a total and absolute rejection of God. People like Christopher Hitchens, God bless him, but uh, his illness right now, but people like Christopher Hitchens bristle at the notion that that man cannot behave morally unless he ha- is given some sort of religious training. But then we look at history, and we look at what happened at the French Revolution. We see that with the rejection of God was a complete rejection of the basic kind of moral uh, rectitude that would keep men from slaughtering other men in the thousands in France. You think of the Martyrs of Compiègne in 1792, 16 mm-hmm. Carmelite nuns guillotined in front of a crowd of onlookers. Where, Christopher Hitchens, one might ask, where is the moral rectitude in, in, in those? And so when you come to the United States, so rooted in uh, a tradition not just of uh, deism and not just of classicism, but a, a tradition for, uh, for the average man, okay? a tradition based on uh, Judeo-Christian values. Um, that is what made the revolution here so, so radically different. And that is precisely why the republic has maintained the kind of, of rectitude that it has. Now, at the same time, de Tocqueville may not have mentioned this, but at the same time, we also have to recognize, of course, the great crime of slavery that, that occurred here on these shores as well. Mm-hmm. And the moral ineptitude of some in, in, in viewing that particular uh, situation. Uh, but but happily, one can also point out that the overcoming of slavery, and indeed, of course, also the overcoming of the, the segregation of the South and the constant uh, hatred towards one's neighbor, was brought out from Reverend Martin Luther King, men who were grounded in a relationship with God, folks who were grounded in, in a Judeo-Christian tradition that speaks beyond simply what is was merely just. That situation, particularly with segregation in the, in the South, one could argue, 
is a great reflection of what John Paul II talks about. A document on Address the World Day of Peace in 2004, he said this, By itself, justice is not enough. Indeed, it can even betray itself unless it is open to the deeper power, which is love. Um, and this can lead us into our discussion of love, but, but when, you, when you look at the situation in the South of the United States, the argument was separate, but that argument would maintain justice. And on paper, that might maintain justice, but it's cold. It's a justice that does not grant the dignity of the human person. It's a justice that, can, that, that is not whole. We're more than merely what is due to us. And that's what John Paul the Great is talking about here, and that's what we learn, to, if I can make it even more poignant, when, when we go back to that parable of, of Lazarus and the rich man, if the rich man had given Lazarus, we know what happened to him for having ignored Lazarus, the, the poor man outside his gate, but if he had given to him, let's say, you know, porridge or oatmeal, whatever, three times a day, he would have been meeting his need for food. Um, but is that sufficient? Is that is that what's what's most important. And this is precisely why, incidentally, why I usually avoid the phrase social justice, as though that sums up the entirety of the doctrine. It does not, and it is not used as, as often as we may think it, it's used. Social justice is the bare minimum. Social justice, as Gregory the Greyhead said, right? It's just, you're giving them what is due to them. We, however, as Christians, are called for love. We're called to go beyond justice, called to look beyond what, what is merely due to the, the secret desires of the heart. Yeah, justice so often has that judicial yes. uh, sense about it, that there's that because it is in the law that if it's, if it's contained therein, then it's acceptable. Yeah. Again, I, I go back to this great country that I love so much, and the system, I think, that is a better than any other However, there have been the great flaws, and mm -hmm. you brought up slavery. I also think of the injustice that was done to the Native American peoples of this exactly land right. from the very beginning. Exactly right. And it, even before the establishment of the country, that how they were treated, where they were at, and continue in some ways yes. to continue to be treated, it cries out for justice in many ways. But within the boundaries of laws, things are legal and systems have been placed. The act of love, of a compassion, of that's the tipping point, isn't it? That's where really it it crosses the boundary. You're you're absolutely right, and this is precisely why I think our attempts to try to meet the pains that have been caused through slavery and the way the Native Americans were treated. The attempt to meet those pains through social justice will never solve the problems. Why? Because at the heart of those people is a pain that can only be healed by the divine healer. Providing them merely with sustenance, providing them merely with socioeconomic opportunity is never going to be enough. Not for the people. It will be enough for individuals who... Like you take someone like Clarence Thomas, for instance, who rooted in a society of segregation and having been brought up in the society he was brought up, was able to come out of that and through his Christian faith come to be a Supreme Court justice. It, it will work for, for individuals, but for people, there, there's pain that needs to be healed and they need the, that, that healing through Christ Jesus. Um, and a Christ Jesus, incidentally, that is freed from the socio-political and economic uh, uh, frame 
that so many in the social justice community want to put him into. And this is precisely why when I give these points, we need to first start with how we understand Christ Jesus. It has to start with a centrality on him as God, as our divine Savior, and not as some sort of political, socioeconomic Messiah who's going to bring us to a promised land where everybody lives in a kind of socialist utopia. That's not the Jesus of the Gospels. It's simple. I reject that wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm. Christ calls us to justice, absolutely, but he calls us beyond it. Justice is almost, a, you can look at it as a, as a kind of result, a first step. In fact, Pope Benedict says this in Caritas and Veritata. He says, justice is an integral part of the work of love that we're being called to take part. But let's not lose sight of the fact that it's ultimately love. It's a civilization of love that we're calling uh, people to. Again, it's about going back to the fundamentals. Why are we created to know him, to love him, to serve him, and to be happy with him forever and the next? And the dignity of each human person being so uniquely created by the Father with their intrinsic gifts, with their with the value, how he designed them, and their ability to be able to be fully the person he, he created them to be. Mm-hmm. That's why in, in justice the opportunity to help people develop those gifts, to be able to live out those lives, instead of, it, it goes back to, again, that type of system of how you help someone. Do you shower money on a community and say, here's something to provide for you for the next week or two, mm-hmm. or do you teach them and utilize their gifts so that they can provide for themselves ultimately from that point on and developing into the person that they were designed to be? Yeah, you teach them who they are in God. You, they 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 are empowered. If we want to talk about the word empowerment, you empower somebody by by teaching them their fundamental dignity, so that they don't settle with mere justice. So they go beyond. Because at the end of the day, they, somebody can have, and we know this. Even the richest person in the world who has well more than they need can be interiorly totally barren, and lost, and alone. This is why we need to expand our understanding even of, of how we use the word poverty. Um, you can provide the poor with the basic needs that they have, and we are obliged to do that, but to pretend that that itself is going to solve the problems of the world or, or solve the, 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 the problems of poverty is to ignore the fact that at the heart of the human person is a desire for relationship and relationship with the transcendent who lets them know that they are loved. Uh, because this world is a world that's going to involve suffering. We do live in a valley of tears, and the great revelation we receive is a revelation of love. Or if I can put it other ways, let, let me put it this way. Uh, the lesson of the gospel is not a lesson of justice. The lesson of the gospels comes to a singular act of, of the man-God on the cross. What happened on the cross was not an act of justice. It was an act of mercy, a mercy rooted in love. And certainly there's a... Um, a justice in in undoing the sins of the past and 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 remaking the 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 act of Adam from the very beginning, but Christ goes well beyond. The cup is overflowing. It's an act of mercy. It's an act of going beyond Himself. It's self-sacrificial. That is the level to which we are being called. And if we've forgotten that, if we if we pretend that somehow justice is going to solve the problem. Uh, then we've lost, I think, the heart of the gospel, which is a, a God's sacrifice of himself for our sake without it being due to us. Justice 
for all. As we're breaking this open, then we have to appreciate the fact that justice left in the hands of man changes. Mm. My idea of what's just for someone may not be the same as what another may feel. Exactly right. So that's why it needs to be rooted in the basic principles. It absolutely does. And and that's why formation in, in the entirety of the social doctrine is so important. Because you, the, what the social doctrine provides, as we'll see in the next point with the principles, what the social doctrine provides are the the criteria for judgment and, and the, the means by which we can look, and, and so therefore indications on how to act for the poor. Um, that's what the principles are there for. But if you don't first understand these values of the importance of truth and freedom and justice and love, the the overpowering earth-shattering love that we're, we're modeled on the cross, if we don't understand those first, we, we can't enter into those principles and apply them with the wisdom um, that the, the Church wants us to and, and Christ wants us to. In concluding on justice, can you give us a sense of why the word right now, in particular, at this point in American history, in the American Church, mm-hmm. that social justice is used as a weapon by so many different factions. The social justice, this teaching of the church, is used by so many to justify their particular prudential approach to certain problems. All of it without being rooted in the life of prayer, without being rooted in fundamentals of our faith, without being rooted in obedience. Cardinal George said one of the marks of, of Catholicism is, is orthodoxy and obedience. And he said, orthodoxy is not enough, rightfully. He said, orthodoxy is not enough. He said, the devil is, knows the catechism better than everybody in this room. And he's saying this to a room full of bishops. And he's right. We can know the faith, but obedience is where the, the devil refused. And that really is a great deal of the heart of many of our problems in the church and many of our problems in society. In this wonderful American approach to freedom, freedom from, you know, we ignore the value of obedience. We have this sort of knee-jerk reaction against it, as though it's some sort of limitation on, on me and what I want to do. It's oh so American. But that can be the root of a great deal of, of sin, a great deal of darkness, and a great a blinding to the, the reality of who and what we are. Because if you can't give yourself over to obedience and surrender to what Christ wants in your life, then it's be more difficult for you to surrender to him in, in your prayer life and surrender to him in, in the everyday and to give up what one thinks they require. And that is in part, part, part what we're, we're having this conversation. We're trying to get, get people to understand, but you have to be rooted, A, in what the social doctrine actually teaches. So in a sense, we're trying to be Peter Moran, but we're also trying to understand that that we have to be, Dorothy Day, rooted in the spiritual life and rooted in the life of, of, of Catholic obedience, um, which John Courtney Murray understood. Mm. A beautiful summation, Omar. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. You've been listening to Regnum Novum, bringing forth the new evangelization through Catholic social teaching with Deacon Omar Gutierrez. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. 
This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Regnum Novum, bringing forth the new evangelization through Catholic social teaching with Deacon Omar Gutierrez.